Thanks for the reading, Mammy. Uh, friends, please do keep up in Psalm 23. We will be looking at um, all of that psalm this morning, so please have it open. Um, but before we get there, uh, let me um, perhaps remind us that for so much of Australia's history since European settlement, we've been said to be living off the sheep's back. Now, of course, what was meant by that was that wool was just a super important commodity for us. So sheep, they arrived in Australia with the first fleet. Wool was Australia's first big export market. And in the years since, it drove so much of our nation's prosperity, hitting its peak around the 1950s. Uh, it was so significant, sheep and the wool industry, that it really did become part of our cultural identity. Uh, you can think of Waltzing Matilda and the references there to the Jumbuck and so on. Uh, you can think of Click Go the Shears. Um, you might think of, well, you might go to the New South Wales Gallery, actually, and look through their permanent collection and, and see all the artworks of, of rural Australia with the sheep being featured there. You might think of key artists like Tom Roberts and, and all the work he did there depicting sheep in the Australian landscape. Uh, here's another example I came across during the week, actually. This is a poster produced by the Australian government, by the Commonwealth Office of Education. As you can tell, it was made some time ago. It was 1949, and it was made for the benefit of immigrants. And so the government made this to, to help people coming to Australia to understand what Australia was all about, what made Australians tick. And I think the heading says it all. According to the Australian government, what you needed to know about to understand 20th century Australia is that sheep are important. Uh, there was more of these posters, actually. That was the first of five in that series, expounding and exploring why it was that sheep and the wool industry were just so important to understanding Australia. Now, of course, today, sheep aren't as important and the wool industry is not uh, as big a um, export market as it used to be. It's still fairly high, but it's really dropped down on the list. But culturally, I think we'd still say that sheep have a, a big role in Australia. It's sort of um, embedded, ingrained in, in the fabric, maybe the tapestry of Australian culture. And so given all that, it was a great joy for me to hear that Psalm 23 had been chosen to be included in our series on the Psalms. Uh, and that's because it wouldn't be going too far to say that Psalm 23 really is the Psalm of the sheep. In fact, a very significant Bible scholar today, Don Carson, has said exactly that. He said that he thinks this psalm is the psalm of the sheep, and he says that with good reason. The psalm talks about the care that God has for his king and compares that to the care that a shepherd has for his sheep. And interestingly, we'll see this all the way through the psalm, it does this by the psalm speaking from the sheep's perspective. And by the way, that's going to be one of the challenges for us this morning, trying to, trying to think like a sheep from around 1000 BC living in the land of Israel. So that's one of, a big challenge for us this morning, getting the mind of a sheep. But that's why it's been called the Psalm of the Sheep. Um, and so it's not a bad choice for us as Australians. And um, I, I do wonder sometimes maybe this should be declared our national psalm. I'll leave that with you. You can debate that later. I'm sure that'll light up the comments but a great joy for me to see that this psalm that we're doing um, as Australians, but also for me personally, I spent the first 17 years of my life on a farm, 
Uh, at different points of time, we had anywhere from a few hundred to a, few, a couple of thousand sheep. And so a great joy for me this week to be thinking about uh, dwelling on this psalm and the sheep metaphor and what it means for us today. And so let's get into it. We'll start with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That functions as a bit of a header for the whole psalm. And it's making a very simple but a really profound point. And that is this. When the Lord is your shepherd, you have everything that you need. What a stunning start to this psalm. Who can say that? Who can say with King David that, you know what, I have everything I need. I am content. I'm satisfied. See, often today we're told that that happiness is found in things. Contentment is the latest and greatest product. It's a Tesla. It's an iPhone 12. It's, It's a butler's pantry. Or we're told that if only we had the latest experience then would be happy. I don't know what that is at the moment. I've, I've heard people taking, heading off in aeroplanes, flying around for eight hours and then landing back at the same airport. Maybe that's it, I don't know. But, but that's what we're told. If, if only we could have the latest product or the latest experience, then we'd be happy, then we'd be content, then we'd have everything that we need. Well, that's not what King David's saying here. What David says is that because God is his shepherd... Well, now he has everything he needs. Well, what does he mean by that? How does that work? Well, he's going to explore that in the rest of the psalm. As again, he unpacks the ways that God's care for him can be compared to a shepherd's care of his sheep. And so with that said, let's jump into verse 2, where we've got an image of ultimate satisfaction as the sheep declares... He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, What is that getting at? Uh, What's happening when a a sheep chooses to lie down in green pastures? Again, we've got to get into the the sheep's eye view, the sheep's perspective of this. And and really, for a sheep, green pastures like a a seafood buffet. It is just the best food. But why is it lying down? Sheep stand to eat. And so why is it lying down? Well, it's because the sheep is full. It's had enough. It actually doesn't want any more. It is totally satisfied. This is a happy sheep, a content sheep. Now, we've got a similar image in the next line when the king writes, he leads me beside quiet waters. Uh, What is the significance of that for a sheep? Again, we're trying to get inside the, the sheep's mind here. What's the significance of quiet waters? Well, the point is not so much that it's quiet, that there's not much noise, or perhaps it's sort of water in the background and that's kind of soothing, relaxing. Uh, No, that's not the point. The point here is that this water is slow moving and is therefore safe to drink. Now, again, if if you don't really know much about sheep, you haven't spent much time with with them, which is probably uh, most people, I'm guessing, um, perhaps this detail is lost on you why slow moving water might be important. Well, the reality is for a sheep, fast-moving water can be life-threatening. And when they come across fast-moving water, it's not uncommon for them to start floating downstream with that water. And as someone who grew up on an irrigation farm, 
um, which had water supplied through fairly big network of channels, channels that were fairly wide, fairly fast-moving and quite deep, um, I saw this heaps. Um, often what happened would be moving sheep from, from one paddock to another, and when you do that, often you might take them past a channel which they wouldn't normally have access to. And look, if the sheep uh, were thirsty, let's say it's the middle of the day on a hot summer's day, or if the sheep really just didn't want to go where you wanted to take them, then one or two of them might dart off and actually make a run over this bank and then running down into the channel. And when that happened, well, actually, that sheep was now floating away and, and then the race was on, wasn't it? Um, you'd, you'd knock the motorbike into the next gear and, and start heading down the top of the channel bank, trying to get it far enough ahead of it so you could throw the bike down, jump in the water and pull it out as it was floating by. And um, the worst thing really was when you didn't get it on your first attempt and saturated, you then got to get back on the bike and, and try it all over again. Um, which is simply to say that fast-moving water for sheep is, is really dangerous. But that's not what we have in this image. There is no danger for this sheep here. It can drink as much as it wants. This water is quiet, it's still, it is safe. And so taken together, this, this abundance of food, this green pasture, the sheep's lying down, this provision of safe drinking water, what we have here is an image of utter satisfaction. Now, I think we should pause at this moment and I guess introduce the big question of this psalm, which is simply this, what makes this king so content? That's the big question of the psalm, what makes this king, King David, so content? What has happened that leads him to compare himself to a sheep being so abundantly cared for by this shepherd? What's happened? Why, why does he do that? Why can he be so content? Well, we're going to keep coming back to this question over and over as we come through this psalm. And so let's keep going. And so verse 3, here we've got a new perspective from which to consider the shepherd's provision for his sheep. This time it's the sense of assurance, this sense of comfort that the sheep gets from knowing that the shepherd is near. Verse 3, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, you might wonder exactly what it might mean for a sheep to have its soul refreshed. Um, I've certainly pondered that quite a bit during the week. Um, again, as someone who very reluctantly, I might add, spent um, a lot of my childhood doing sheep work, moving them, helping them be shorn, all that sort of stuff. Let me just say, I have absolutely no idea what it would be like for a sheep to have its soul refreshed. Um, I think it's fair to say that's actually not something that you would ever say of a sheep. Um, but the good news is the original Hebrew is a little bit clearer for us. What it says is, he causes my life to return. Now, you know what? That is something that you can imagine uh, a shepherd doing as they care for their sheep. Because in the ancient world, a key task of a shepherd was saving the life of their sheep. They would actually do that quite a bit. Now, how would they do that? Well, let's be super clear, sheep are very vulnerable animals. There are many ways that a sheep can die, one of which is simply by turning onto its back and having its legs in the air. They can actually find it very difficult to get back up from that position, uh, particularly if they're carrying a full fleece and maybe that fleece is wet, um, or if that sheep is pregnant, or if they've actually rolled into sort of a ditch. Uh, very difficult for a sheep to ride itself 
And actually, it's a very dangerous situation for them. They can die within hours, apparently. I, I looked this up during the week. Um, gases build up in their stomach, uh, puts pressure on their lungs, and so on. Now, in Australia, at least to my knowledge, this is less of a thing. Um, I think we just put them in fields that are smooth and flat, and we don't have to worry about that too much. I, I um, certainly don't remember ever having to write a sheet um, back in the day. But in the ancient world, well, actually, a key role of a shepherd was spotting an upturned sheep, putting it back on its feet and returning its life to it. And that's the image here, that the presence of the shepherd gives the sheep assurance. That even if they do stumble, if they, they roll down and, and end up in a ditch, if they're on their back and they can't move, the assurance that the shepherd is there, the shepherd will save them. Now, as we keep going through this psalm, we've got the same idea when we're told that the shepherd guides the sheep along right paths. See, it's because the shepherd is leading them, it's because the shepherd is there, it's because the shepherd is looking after them that they'll only ever be led down right paths. But then you think, well, what's a right path for a sheep? Well, you know, what? there, there are some places that you shouldn't take sheep. Uh, we've already mentioned you don't take thirsty sheep near big, fast-moving water. That's a recipe for disaster. Uh, you don't take sheep down a steep hill or, or land that could crumble beneath them lest they fall and end up overturned. And you also don't take them past plants that would be toxic to them were they to eat it, which is simply to say that shepherds, again, very much back in the day, needed to be very careful where they led their sheep. And so, again, we're, we're told of this sense of assurance, this sense of comfort that the sheep gets from knowing that the shepherd is there, that the shepherd is looking after them, and the shepherd is leading them down right paths. They're not going into places they shouldn't be. But again, uh, where does King David get this sense of assurance from? That as he's travelling through life, God is looking after him. God is there. God is present. Again, we've come back to the big question of this psalm. What makes this king so content? Content in God's provision, content in God's plans for him. On what basis can David trust that God will provide? Well, we're going to keep coming back to this, but part of the answer is there at the end of verse 3. We're told the reason why the shepherd cares for his sheep in this way is for his name's sake. And so it's not because David was special. It's not because David was in and of himself just so incredible that he figured God must provide and guide for him. On one level, it had nothing to do with David and, and himself. The reason why God took such good care of David was for the sake of his own name, for the sake of God's honour, for the sake of God's reputation. Again, we're going to keep coming back to this question of why David could trust in God's provision, why he could be so content. But it is worth pointing out at this point that what this psalm is not saying, and that is that you might not know much about King David's life. And hearing this psalm, you might assume, well, this is just a guy who's just lived a charmed life. 
that nothing bad ever went wrong for him, that he didn't experience hard times or difficult moments, seasons of life that were just painful. Well, in the Bible, we actually have a fairly extensive account of of key moments in David's life, many of which were difficult. At times, he was pursued by an army. At times, he was camping out in the wilderness. At times, he pretended to be insane so that his enemies wouldn't kill him. Uh, David doesn't write these words through any lack of life experience. David lived through some very challenging and very dangerous moments. And actually, we see that coming through in verse 4. Let's take a look at this. Here, David speaks of the protection that God provides. Again, he writes this from the perspective of sheep. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, you might say, well, what, in what sense? Uh, what's the indication that David here is referring to a difficult moment in his life? Well, it's because this sheep is said to be passing through the darkest valley. Uh, what, what's the significance of that? What does that mean for a sheep? Well, for a shepherd, if you had the choice, you wouldn't take your sheep through a valley. There's a few reasons for that. A valley is where the undergrowth is thickest, and so normally the going there is very slow. It's much harder to keep track of your sheep, much harder to see them, and and certainly much harder to see potential predators. There's much more chance of sheep stumbling into a ditch and not being able to get up. And so whatever chance you had, you would take the sheep along the higher ground. But here's the point. Even in that dangerous place, even as this sheep was led through the darkest valleys, even in those moments, the sheep knew that God was there, that his shepherd was there, that he would be okay. He knew that the shepherd could and would use his rod and his staff to protect him. Now, there is some discussion about exactly what the rod and staff is specifically referring to. Um, I'm not entirely certain which way this one should fall, but it seems to be that that one of them would be used for directing the sheep, perhaps uh, nudging the sheep's head in one direction and so on, while the other was used for defence, to ward off predators, potentially to attack predators, uh, predators like wolves and so on. But, But whatever the case, the point is clear. At times, David had a very difficult life, and yet in every instance, he's saying that he could trust that God would ultimately protect him. And we read more about David's protection in verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, most commentators argue that this verse is, is now opening up a new metaphor for us. We've stopped with the sheep and the shepherd and we've switched to some type of banquet and fellowship idea. Uh, And they do that partly, I should say partly, because they can't see how verse 5 could still be talking about a sheep. Well, actually, I think the the sheep-shepherd metaphor continues. Uh, I think that it it further explores this concept of God's protection. And so let me explain how I see this working, starting with this reference to a table in the presence of enemies. Uh, What is this table? Well, of course, the underlying concept is a dining table. Uh, The Old Testament speaks a lot of people, for example, eating at the king's table, which is a fairly straightforward reference to an actual 
table where people would eat. But to prepare a table can also be a poetic way of talking about the provision of food. Uh, it doesn't have to imply the presence of an actual table. And we see this at other points in the Psalms. So Psalm 78 verse 19, for example. When God's people were in the desert, they started to doubt whether God would provide them with food. And at that point, they're reported as saying to each other, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? In other words, they're asking, out in the midst of nowhere, can God actually give us the food that we need? There's no suggestion of an actual table. Now, in coming back to this psalm, you think, well, what might it mean for a shepherd to prepare a table in the presence of enemies? Well, one role of a shepherd was to prepare the pasture land for their sheep. And so a key task was creating a space that was free of toxic plants. And so they'd walk through it season by season, pulling out plants which it wouldn't be good for their sheep to eat. And so in that way, they prepare a table in the, in the presence of enemies. They're, they're creating this safe space in the midst of dangerous plants for their sheep to graze. Or again, if we keep reading, another fairly difficult point um, for commentators is why might a shepherd anoint the head of a sheep with oil? Well, I think a better translation is simply to, to speak of moistening the head of a sheep with oil. And once again, shepherds did this back in the day to protect their sheep from danger, to protect them from enemies. Now, I'm, I'm guessing I'll probably need to explain this one. Um, so I, I might do that by going back um, to a time in Australia when sheep dips were a thing. Um, it sort of brings fear over over me a little bit, because it, it sounds like a lot of work. Um, but sheep dips, look how it worked. You would protect sheep from the dangers of fly strike and lice and so on by running sheep through a sheep dip. Now, what that was uh, back in the day was a narrow path which would actually go down uh, below ground a couple of feet, and then it would slowly slope back up again. And into that dip, you would put whatever chemicals you needed to put in there that um, the sheep would then run through that, get drenched in these chemicals, which would then protect them from the dangers of fly strike and lice and so on. Now, I've got to say, as a kid, I, I vaguely remember seeing one of those in action and, and sort of seeing the sheep jumping into the, the, the liquid and then running out the other side and so on. Um, I say vaguely because um, on the farm I was on, we didn't have one of those physically, um, but our neighbouring farm did. They actually had one from quite some time ago. Um, I'm sure you're not interested, but the history of that was that um, in this particular area when irrigation farms were being set up, how they did it was to break up larger dry area farms and stations and so forth. And so some of these smaller farms sort of ended up with the pre-existing infrastructure from these huge stations. And so our neighbour, our immediate neighbour, had this huge old uh, shearing shed, um, huge um, cattle yards, sheep yards, and this old school sheep dip um, which is really quite incredible. But of course, technology at, at some point changed and we, we ended up abandoning that and simply spraying, we put this backpack on with chemicals in the back and just spraying down the back of a sheep to do the same result. But before all of that, uh, back in David's day, to, to protect the sheep from the same dangers, they would use oil. So they'd actually slap the oil on the, the sheep's face in particular, and particularly the nose, to try and prevent sheep from uh, laying eggs in the sheep's nose. Now, that might not be the most pleasant image. Um, I understand that. But it, it conveys the same idea. 
that even when enemies are trying to attack this sheep, the shepherd provides protection, the protection that the sheep needs to be kept safe. And then the, the final bit there, to really round out this, this overarching image of contentment, we've got the overflowing cup, conveying the idea that, that even in the midst of these enemies, this sheep has more than enough. It has an abundance. And I think that's really bringing us back to verse 1 and the statement that, that David has all that he needs. And so what is David saying here? He's saying that even in the most difficult the most dangerous of circumstances. David knew that God would always keep him safe. And so again, we come back to this key question. What made this king so certain that God would protect him? Why was this king so content? Content in God's provision? Content in God's plans? Content in God's protection? What was the secret to David's contentment? Well, the answer is in verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the the reason why David could be so content, regardless of his external circumstances, the reason why David could continue to trust that God would give him everything he needed through the ups and downs of life and off on into the future, was because of God's love. Again, verse 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's what David knew. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God was walking alongside him and caring for him every step of the way. And for David, that, that was enough. Actually, that was more than enough. Now, of course, it's the same today for all those who follow the Lord Jesus. All those who today know God's love. See, there are a couple of ways that we can move from this psalm to our lives today. Uh, The first, and I'm not going to dwell on this for too long, is that we know that King David was given to us to help us to recognize Jesus as God's true king. So when we read of David, we can look forward and see how he's pointing us towards the true king king who is to come. And so in that way, when we read about God's care of his king in this psalm, what we're ultimately reading about is the way that God cared for the Lord Jesus. And really just a moment's reflection on Jesus' life brings to mind those elements of contentment and assurance and protection. So that's one way that we can bridge the gap between the psalm and today. But there is another way. Jesus is not just to be thought of as the sheep in this psalm. He's also the shepherd. John 10, Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd. Now, when Jesus says that, he's certainly picking up on other Old Testament references to sheep and shepherds like Ezekiel 34 and the promise that one day God himself will come and shepherd his people. But he's also drawing upon this psalm, which is to say that the contentment the assurance, the comfort, the protection that the shepherd provides his sheep in Psalm 23 is provided by the Lord Jesus for his people today. That's why followers of the Lord Jesus, 
We are satisfied people. We don't look to external things to bring true contentment. That's why followers of the Lord Jesus have total assurance. Not thinking that that somehow we might be outside of God's plans for our lives, that there was a decision that we made back in the day that sort of threw us off track. No, no, no. We know that we are exactly where God wants us to be. And that's why followers of the Lord Jesus trust that we'll be protected from evil. We actually know that it's beyond our ability in and of ourselves to persevere in the Christian life and that we rely on the protection that the Lord Jesus provides. Which is to say that ultimately this psalm is a psalm of contentment for God's people today. A contentment that, that rests, that is grounded on God's love for, us, love for us, a love ultimately displayed in the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross for us, the ultimate provision. And that's why I included that section from Philippians in today's reading. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 11, that he's learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. Again, think about that for a moment. He's learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul says that because he knows that to be loved by Jesus is better than anything else this world can give. Again, he's not looking to his external circumstances for contentment. Uh, He wasn't a guy who was going to fall for the lies of the advertising industry. He's not going to go out and buy whatever new, latest product it is, love it for a season, but then become dissatisfied and keep looking for the next best thing. And we should know that Paul's life wasn't an easy life. Shipwrecked, flogged, jailed, and yet content. Content in all circumstances, not just after it was over, but even during them. Why was that? Well, it's because his desires were fully met in Jesus. But why can he say that? Well, when we know Jesus, when we know his love for us, when we know that he loved us even when we were his enemies, when we know the riches that he's already lavished upon us in the Lord Jesus, the salvation that is won on the cross, when we think of the future that lies ahead, the future for all those who trust in him, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, a perfect future in a perfect world, that's when we can honestly say that God is enough. That's the secret of contentment, knowing God's love. It's what David knew, it's what the Apostle Paul knew, and it's what we today know. If we know the Lord Jesus, we know God's love, and so we know the secret of contentment. And so, friends, keep looking to the Lord Jesus and find your true life in Him. Let's pray. Father, You have made us. You know us. You know that we at times long for so many things. You know that we easily get caught up in chasing the things that this world says that will satisfy us. But they don't. We know that actually it's you that we need. 
And so we thank you for Jesus. Thank you through his death on the cross. He's brought us all the things that we desperately needed but could never get by our own actions. All the things we don't deserve, forgiveness, righteousness, a loving relationship with you, life in heaven with you. Father, we ask you to help us to see how precious these things are. Help us to treasure them and to find our contentment in you. Help us to trust in your good provision as we wait for your return in the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Our friends, we've got a great song, Christ is Enough.